Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Faith to Go podcast, your one-stop shop for everything you need to have faith discussions throughout your week with your friends and with your family. My name is David Tremaine, and I'm the Minister of Formation at Good Samaritan Episcopal Church in San Diego. And I'm Charlotte Pressler, and I'm the Youth Missioner for the Episcopal Diocese of San Diego. Uh, Charlotte, we're here all alone. I know. It's fun to be just us hanging out. I love welcoming guests, but it's also fun to just be the two of us. That's right. That's right. You all listening, you are the guest today. You know, we're holding a little space just for you. Uh, and, uh, before we get into, uh, our conversation about the gospel this week, again, this is the week leading up to October 25th. My goodness. Uh, proper 25. We hope you all have your All Hallows Eve costumes ready. I don't think there's, uh, depending on where you are in the country, I guess there may or may not be trick-or-treating. Um, but, uh. We are going to talk about the gospel today for Proper 25, but before that, I wanted to ask you, Charlotte, a question, uh, which we would usually ask a guest, but sans guests, I need to know from you. Where did you see God this past week in your life? So as it turns out, last night was youth group for me, and the conversation last night hinged around how do we know God exists? And it was a fantastic conversation, which actually kind of started out with, do you think Bigfoot is real? Mm -hmm. Um, What about the Loch Ness Monster Mm -hmm. and all of those? Um, And so a very animated discussion ensued. But the piece that where I saw God was in the articulation of the beauty of the world around us and how that is part of what informs our experience of God. Mm. It was 10 minutes of young people sharing where they saw God this week. Mm -hmm. I saw God when I was at the beach. Um, I saw God um, in a classmate that was struggling that I was able to help offline. I saw God when I went on a walk with my family after dinner because we all needed a break from screens. And their testimony of how they know God exists was filled with the examples of where they saw God at work in the world mm-hmm. this week. And it was just that ever, that reminder of the ever presentness of God in our lives mm-hmm. when we notice that God is there. Cool. That's so cool. And we, well, you know what? That's a great question for everyone listening. As the third guest, you are obligated to answer us. Because um, <laughs> we would love to know, especially, you know, as, as we follow up from St. Francis Day a few weeks ago, like thinking about creation and all of creation, God's image, you know, embedded in all these various parts of creation, not just human beings, but but everywhere um, in this multiplicity of the universe where we would love to hear from you all kind of the the nat- the places of creation where you see God most often or maybe even just this week, something mm-hmm. jumped out to you and you saw God in in something somewhere, something reminded you of some characteristic of God. Um, so we would love to hear from you. We also always want to hear your questions or comments or stories from your week of faith discussion. So you can email us faith to go at edsd.org. You can also contact us through our website, www.myfaith2go.org, where you can also find all of those faith to go resources for every week. And then you can also uh, follow us on and contact us through Instagram at faith to go. And again, we would love to hear from you. Send us any of your thoughts or the places you saw God in creation this week. 
we're going to get uh, into our gospel discussion for today. And as there's two of us, we're each going to have a point, and then we're going to collab, collab on a point. Um, Charlotte is going to read Matthew 22, 34 to 46, and then we are going to discuss. Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 46. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them this question. What do you think of the Messiah? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, how is it then that David by the spirit calls him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David thus calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one was able to give him an answer, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. Mm. Drop the mic, Jesus. Drop the mic. Don't. No one has a single thing to say to Jesus for the rest of his life, it sounds like. At least not the Sadducees and Pharisees. Um, so, let's see. We, a little bit of um, context here. We have jumped over a story uh, in Matthew 22, which would have been from verses 23 to 33. You know, last week we talked about uh, paying taxes to the emperor. That, is, again, is a conversation between uh, the Pharisees who brought along the Herodians and Jesus. We jump over a, a question uh, from the Sadducees. Remember, there are three kind of main uh, sects of Judaism uh, operating all here in Jerusalem. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were the two big ones, and then the Essenes, E-S-S-E-N-E-S. Um, and the Pharisees are um, the Pharisees are kind of the ones that are not so much involved with temple worship, but much more kind of about daily practice, uh, daily uh, adherence, adhering to commands, com- the commandments. Uh, like as the group that is focusing on personal spiritual practice, they're saying, "What? Well, Jesus, you know, if you're so smart, what is the one most important practice?" And they're trying to get him to to pick one, and then thus saying all these other ones aren't important, right? So they're again trying to catch him uh, in a theological quandary of their own. Um, and so that's kind of the setup here. The only other thing is this last half of the of the gospel, which kind of comes out of nowhere. This question that Jesus responds to them, asking about the Messiah. Jesus uh, is quoting a psalm. The Lord said to my Lord, "Sit on my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet." That's a psalm. That's Psalm one ten verse one, and. The assumption here is that David is the writer of the Psalms, and thus all of the voice, the voice of all the Psalms is David's voice, 
And so if they're saying, well, the Messiah is the son of David, how could David, the one writing the Psalms, say, the Lord says to my Lord, how could David call his son Lord? So Jesus is kind of using scripture in this unique way of pushing back against the Pharisees, uh, which he does in other places as well. Um, So that's it. I think then we can get into the points and Charlotte has point number one. I do have point number one. And it comes in this very famous section of scripture. I feel like this is a section of scripture that we hear a lot of times. Um, And I want to preface it by saying that it's an important reminder for all of us that the Bible is not a good storybook. Um, We get this section of scripture right here where they're trying to trick Jesus again, and they got their question for him again. And his answer to them when asked what is the most important commandment is... You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second, like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Great. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) well, there you have it, right? Like I pause afterwards because these are very clear instructions from Jesus. They are not words that he's not providing an answer just so that someone can listen to them. Um, In fact, at this point, it's fairly clear that Jesus has to repeat himself and tell things in lots of different ways over and over again, right? Like he answers the same questions over and over and over again. That's why we have so many parables. Um, But these are not just words. This is not just a storybook. The gospel is, especially this section, is a call to action. Mm. Jesus is telling you what the greatest commandment is because it is a command. This is what we are supposed to do. We are called to live into it. We are supposed to love God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our being. And we are supposed to love our neighbors as ourselves not just say it. Mm -hmm. We are supposed to do it. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean it's easy, right? Like giving all of ourselves, we talked about this a little bit last week with the wonderful Deacon Pam Rieger, Archdeacon of our diocese, how God wants all of it from us, right? The good parts, the bad parts, the, the parts that are growing faithfully and the parts that are stumbling along the way that we are called to love God with everything that we have, every ounce of our being. And then we are also supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. That doesn't mean my neighbor that looks like me, thinks like me, votes like me, um, believes in the same equity that I do. Mm-hmm. It means all of my neighbors, all of them. And that we are called to it from this place of we are all children of God, mm-hmm. that God wants all of who each of us is, and that that's what makes the kingdom the kingdom, is because it includes all of us. We don't get to vote people off the island or choose not to engage with them. We are called into this life of action and connection in the gospel message. We need to love God with all of our heart, mind, and soul, and body, and we need to love our neighbors as ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that sometimes we get so caught up in the words that we forget that the words are actually a call to action. And Jesus is, um, Jesus, like, you you can see this, if this is the last com- communication he has with the Pharisees, if you look back over all of his pushback against the Pharisees, if the Pharisees, again, are the group that are um, 
that are emphasizing kind of the daily application of the commandments, the daily actions. And that mm-hmm. and for Jesus, Jesus's pushback is like these the actions are have become a me and an end in themselves. You know, so he's always pushing back against like these particular things you can and can't do. And and this and the the way that he frames it here, the kind of culmination of that converse that on that like gospel long conversation with the Pharisees is to say, and this is how and this is what I would how I would respond to you all ultimately is that we have to ask ourselves what our motivation is for these actions. It's not about them, it's not about just the particularities of the behaviors. It's about the source <laughs> It's about the source of those behaviors, you know? So he's saying the the way that the behaviors, the behaviors in and of themselves, the particularities of, of how we act are not what's important. The important thing is doing our actions based on love for God and love for one another. And so when we get bogged down in telling people how specifically they have to behave and turning a blind eye to to the source of behavior, you know, we really lose sight of, we lose sight of why we're doing any of it. You know, like it becomes just about behaving correctly instead of about approaching behavior in a loving and life-giving way. And I think that, um, I think that the, this last part I think gets into our, second um second point that we're collaborating on um because it talks about uh, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets and i'm thinking about what it means for the for all like it makes sense that all like the commandments right that he's kind of like saying these on these two principles are all the law all the law he's also saying though that all the prophets like are founded on this their their source of inspiration Mm -hmm. was also this loving god and loving one another Mm -hmm. and that prophetic words prophecy uh speaking prophetically and calling for action has like it all must come from that source so that when we're going out into the world and calling for change and and deciding on policy and law that will be equitable like it's not so much about um again about specific behavior but about the general desire for expression of love for ourselves and for one another uh, from and coming all coming from our love for god that our love for God and our love for one another is kind of intrinsically tied together. And so to be prophetic is not to um, call out institutions or people for the sake of our own feeling of superiority, but to, to do it because out of a, an abundance of feeling of love, it's like a righteous, it's like a mm-hmm. righteous anger born of love, not of resentment, you know, yeah. And if we think about it, that we can use that information, that lens of love mm-hmm. to help us to know 
when we are looking at justice mm -hmm. and when we are looking at equality, right? Like if you look at something at a law, because we're saying all the laws and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And if you look at it through a lens of love, and if it doesn't look like that, if it doesn't look like it's been created from that place of loving God um, and of loving neighbor, then you know that it's not justice. Mm -hmm. If you look at it and you don't see love, then you know that it's not working for peace. Mm -hmm. If you know, if we use that lens of love as we look at the shape of our world, it does inform whether we are on the right direction or not. If we are going the way that we're supposed to, or if we need to, you know, do that repent thing and mm -hmm. turn around. Right. I think that when we look at things through that lens of love, then we're able to know if we're right on the right path. Right. And that that kind of sense of um, invitation to wonder and to self-awareness, I think, gets into the third point, my my point, um, which is about this very last verse uh, where after Jesus has this back and forth with the Pharisees uh, and he, you know, it's kind of this total shutdown, right, that no one was able to give him an answer nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. And I like, it's interesting because it's interesting to think about how I, how Jesus is kind of, um, I don't feel like this is the, the gospel writer or Jesus kind of trying to invite us to believe that our, the end of our dialogue with one another is meant to be the total shutdown of one party by the other, that someone ultimately wins out. You know, and that okay. uh, I I I believe from like G the way that Jesus enters into dialogue with people who are uh, asking authentic, genuine questions, searching for truth from Him, that He invites ongoing conversation, and not that He's inviting in in, in like our way of thinking about civil discourse that ultimately one person will win and one person will lose. One person will have the last word and the other person will be like eternally shut down forever. Okay. I think instead it's that he's kind of in, he's the invitation here is to become aware of our, of the motivation for asking the questions, you know? And so when we are, we're talking about like becoming aware of, our motivation for supporting one thing over another is that motivation, the love of God and the love of neighbor. We can also bring that to our interpersonal dialogue. Like when we are entering into dialogue with another person, especially a person that we disagree with, are we entering into that dialogue in a kind of mutual search for truth, a mutual search for a path forward? Or are we entering into that dialogue to entrap them, to prove to them that they're bad or too conservative or too liberal or too racist or too this or too that? Are we entering into this dialogue to feel a sense of our own superiority and to shut somebody else down and feel that support superiority at someone else's expense? Or are we entering into that dialogue because we genuinely have a... a have a genuine question and a genuine question is open-ended and is looking for something more than what we've already decided is true. So are we looking to reinforce what we already think is true when we ask questions, when we enter into dialogue with people into this kind of civil discourse, 
or are we looking to reinforce what we already believe is true? Are we looking to belittle people that disagree with us? Um, and of course, that's not to say that you know we can't have that bring that kind of prophetic sense of justice with us. But it also doesn't that prophetic sense of justice doesn't let us off the hook of being needing to be open to the possibility that some there is a deeper truth than the one that we're bringing to the conversation. Yeah, I think also, as I was listening to you talk about it, it's a reminder of a call to openness, mm-hmm. right? That how we walk through this world, that if we are open, if we ask questions that reveal our openness and quest for knowledge and understanding, that that's very different than walking through this world closed, thinking that we already know everything and that we're already doing everything the way that we're supposed to. To, mm-hmm. um, and that part of loving our neighbor mm-hmm. is being open to them. Right. Yeah. And so it's, it takes, it's a great, it's an act of great vulnerability to ask a genuine question. And to me, a genuine question is one yes. that is open ended, open to the possibility of newness. Uh, that is the opposite of how the Pharisees approach these questions because they're approaching the questions from a posture of, of conserving their status uh preserving their status uh of of power and authority and not interested in some sort of communal exploration of god's movement in the world they're more interested in shutting down a movement they see as threatening and so we need that is really hard for us to figure out our our motivations you know are we are we responding because we feel threatened are we responding because we have a a deep need for some kind of security born of feelings of superiority or are we genuinely motivated by a communal wellness communal thriving by a deep desire to manifest the love of god as the love of neighbor uh in all of the things that we do but it's re- that's a really hard question to ask. It's a really hard thing to figure out. And it's kind of our lifelong journey of figuring that out. Oh, yeah. You know? And I, I would completely agree with that because I would say I don't think it's a question that we're ever done asking. Right. That, you right. know, we need to ask it of ourselves every day and make sure that we're walking mm-hmm. with each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's three points. One, two, three. Knock them out. I can't out. believe it. Amazing. We did it. Um Point number one was Charlotte, and it was about uh, these this great great commandment, as we like to call it, the golden rule. Maybe you think about it, mm-hmm. um, and just the challenge of actually living into this, embodying this, not just conceptually, but in our everyday lives, becoming aware of our of how why we are motivated uh, in our actions, what motivates our actions, and is it this command? The second point led from that and thinking about the those kind of prophetic calls for justice thinking about why we support the laws or the policies or the people that we support are we doing it out of a sense of of preserving our own superiority and power uh, or are we doing it out of a deep sense of god's love and loving our neighbor and loving one another and then that that kind of sense of a question of self-awareness and motivation was led to point three which was asking ourselves, why are we asking, how are we approaching 
dialogue and conversation and discourse. And when we ask questions, are we asking them to shut down conversation or are we asking them to open us up to new possibilities and to find a way, a path forward as a community and as people instead of uh, dominating through question asking? So having heard that discussion, uh, we would invite you to read this gospel back through again to yourself uh, or maybe together with your family. See if anything else comes yeah. up. What other questions come up for you? What other wonderings come up for you? What other thoughts and ideas jump out from this gospel for you? Uh, we would love to hear from you with any of those answers or with any um, questions or conversations that emerge from any other parts of your week of faith discussion and reflection. You can email us, faithtogo at edsd.org. You can contact us through our website, myfaithtogo.org. You can also contact us through or follow us on Instagram at faithtogo. We will be back next week, which is All Saints Day, everybody. November 1st, uh, or we'll be talking about the gospel for November 1st. It'll come up. We'll, this The podcast will come out the week before. So get ready for All Saints. Uh, we'll be talking about All Saints Day, which, you know, only every, you know, six years or something falls on an actual Sunday. Usually it's moved to a Sunday. On a Sunday. But it is on a Sunday mm-hmm. this year, so we'll assume that everybody's going to be reading the, the gospel for All Saints Day. Uh, and uh, until next time, we say goodbye. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody.